Chapter 18 of the Queen of Appalachia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Queen of Appalachia by Joe H. Borders. Chapter 18. On to Appalachia. Hello, Thornton, and the sister, too. Well, I'm right glad to see you and again. How are you anyhow? We're all right, Uncle. Only a little tired, that's all. I knowed, I knowed you the first time I clapped my eyes on you. Come up to the cabin, folks, and rest a spell. Young Thornton and the Queen had just left their canoe, having made the trip from Virginia in exactly ten days, which included a short stop at Princeton. The river is not as high as it was the last time we were here, eh, Uncle? Oh, no, it wasn't a regular tear another time. It's nearly dried up now, but the fishing's good in some places. Thought you one's gone home long ago. Oh, we had to come back, Uncle. You see, she lost some valuables on account of the high water, and we came here, hoping the river had receded so that we could find some trace of them. That's so? Lost them in the river? Why, Thornton, the bed of the stream is sand. You'll never find them. Howsomever, I low they're worth looking for. Just as well take off your duds, miss, in case you and I'll have to stay a spell waiting on the river to dry up. About how long, Uncle? inquired she. I reckon a week. Maybe more in a week. Depends on the weather. And it's looking like rain now. It doesn't matter, Uncle. We are here to stay until the river bottom comes to the surface. Can we arrange for board and lodging? Well, I reckon. Ewans can stay here just as long as you want, for all I care. I've got to go to town, Thornton, but my gun hangs over the door, and you'll find the powder and bullets aplenty. I reckon you can catch enough game to supply the table. How long will you be gone, Uncle? asked Paul, after thanking him for his hospitality. Let me see. Oh, about five days, I owe. Oh, and to chances. Want the canoe? Don't mind if I do use the pushbow, Thornton. It'll take particular pains with it. Don't mention it. Don't mention it, Uncle. We may never want to leave here, catching himself, by the time you get back. I low you uns do take to the country, just like your old dad. How is Dave? Getting rich, I reckon. My father was quite well, Uncle, the last time I heard from him. That's so? You ain't seen him? Sure enough. Well, I must be going. Ewans will find cornmeal and bacon, and there's a jug of sorghum over in the corner. Make yourselves to home. I'll be back just as soon as I can. Isn't he a kind-hearted old soul, said the queen. Oh, yes, he's a typical mountaineer, replied Paul. I am going down to the river, sweetheart. Want to go along? Wait till I get my hat, was her reply. It was watching and waiting with Paul and the queen for the next week. For hours at a time, they would sit on the sunny banks of the rapidly receding stream, watching the ebb and flow, and at the close of each day, they marked the gradual decline of the water, and noted each morning the advancing sandbar as it slowly reared its head from its watery environment. They never tired nor uttered a word of complaint, but on the other hand were happy and confident. They had carefully explored the banks of the river in the neighborhood, and had located a little gulf where the water rippled and swelled and bubbled as though fed by an artesian well. Further investigations revealed the fact that concealed about eight inches below the water's surface was an opening under a ledge of rocks from which the water flowed freely, as from a drain pipe or sewer. On the third morning, this natural aqueduct was prominently outlined, and the interested couple clapped their hands in glee, fully believing that here was the gateway leading to the coveted regions of the underground world. This discovery increased their hopes of an early entrance into the cavern, and they reluctantly quitted the place when the darkness fell upon them. They were up at the first dawn of the following day, and covered the distance between the cabin and their objective point in a very short time. "'Praise the Lord!' yelled Thornton, who had reached the spot ahead of the queen. 
See, sweetheart, the water has almost disappeared, and the cave is a living certainty. Hallelujah. It is too good to be true, said she, glancing from the muddy cavern gate towards Thornton, with tears in her eyes, tears of joy and gladness. Nothing is too good, sweetheart. Tomorrow we will be able to penetrate the darkness of old Mother Earth. They were unusually lively and gay, and their daily outing for a squirrel or a bird was cut short on this gladsome day. They had no appetite, and all their thoughts were bent on the recent revelations and what the next few days would bring forth. The excitement incident to the occasion had driven from Thornton's mind the disagreeable features of his stop at Princeton en route. While he was inclined to laugh over the scandal which had shaken the old town from hell to breakfast, as one of his country cousins expressed it, the thought that his friends were so easily deceived, and that he and Miss Arnold were under a cloud, that the shocking affair had sent her out of town, perhaps with a heart bleeding with sorrow and distress. These thoughts had frequently flashed through his mind the past few days, and they were hard to shake off. "'The idea of Paul Thornton living a dual life,' exclaimed Paul in one of his wandering moods. "'My friends must be crazy!' Poor Henry. He was honest in his convictions. Anyone would have sworn she was the queen. "'It is strange, though,' he admitted, "'that Miss Overton offered no satisfactory explanation.' I am at a loss to understand her silence and their hasty flight. Perhaps the affair was more serious than it appeared to me. My father, too. It worries him not a little. He spoke of the heavy shrinkage in business, as though I was responsible for it. I hope nothing serious will result from it. Pshaw, why do such vagaries haunt my mind? Still, come to think of it, the bank people were not so gushing as usual, and they granted the loan of a paltry five hundred with evident deliberation. Our financial affairs were surely in good shape. Yes, as to that I am certain. It was the scandal. Oh well, that will blow over. But will it? Some of my closest friends tried to give me the cold shoulder. I was importuned to explain, but how could I? Ought I to have given them the secret of the queen, that it was a sacred one to me? It was out of the question. Even my mother urged me to quit quiet the feelings of my neighbors. That was important. But no, I only laughed at her while she wept. She would not acknowledge that Miss Arnold and the Queen were two distinct persons. She doubted her own eyes and showed a lack of faith in my vague explanation. Yet it was rather hypothetical, that's a fact. Early in the morning of the fifth day, young Thornton went down to the river alone, and to his surprise, found the opening nearly dry, and with the aid of his shovel and spade, had no difficulty in entering the mouth of the cave. It was very narrow, but by crawling on his hands and knees, he succeeded in passing through the opening and discovered that the passage enlarged as he progressed, until he reached a hollow chamber where the height was almost sufficient to allow him to stand upright. He paused, and a tremor shook him. He was convinced of the truth and hurriedly retraced his steps, returning to the cabin and advising the queen of his wonderful adventures and discovery. Let us hasten our investigations, and, if possible, make our escape before the return of our host, said Thornton flushed with excitement and ra talking rapidly. "'The suggestion is a good one,' replied the queen, glancing at his mud-covered garments, "'and I will prepare for the journey at once.' Paul made his exit and anxiously awaited the signal for his return. An unexpected surprise awaited them at the river, in their haste to bid adieu to their present surroundings, in the person of their hospitable friend. "'Well, I'll be dumb-frizzled, Thornton. You look like a mud-duck sure and sartin. What on earth have you been doing to your fine clothes?' I got into the mud this morning, began Thornton stammering. I thought I was on the track of the lost treasures. You and Hank give up yet? I kind of think of finding you's gone till I sees you's coming down on a dog trot. Say, Thornton, I'd see you's sister over to town. 
Leastwise, she didn't deny it, but she's just the picture of that her gal, motioning towards the queen. Is that so? said Paul, the vision of Miss Arnold looming up in his mind. Was she alone, uncle? Well, now, I didn't ask her. When I first seed her, thinks I, that's Thornton's sister, and how'd she beat me to town? And so I just yanked myself right over to her, just so, and spoke to her. Says, I ain't your Dave Thornton's gal, and she turned as red in the face as beaten laughed. What did she have to say? asked Paul. Said as how she was on the hunt of Ewan's, and I low she was tickled plum to death when I told her Ewan's was a stayin' at my house, as happy and frolickin' as yearlin' calves. I reckon Ewan's be gone more'n year load, and your folks was uneasy like. What became of her uncle? Was she returning home? Likely as not, unbeknownst to me she made herself scarce, and I done forgot about her. Down there in the narrows be a man and a gal on a couple of critters, and the gal peered mighty nigh like her, Norton. But my eyes ain't as sure as they won't swears, I reckon. Case they aren't have been here by now. I hardly think it was my sister, uncle. Come along, sweetheart. Let's away to the sandbar, spoke Paul in a careless manner, and away they went, leaving Uncle Bill alone on the riverbank. As full of life as a kitten, said he, looking after the couple. I reckon she is his sister, though, but... But they appear to think a gall-done sight of each other was his comment, going up the hill. End of chapter 18 Recording by Astronomy.